probably I've heard from ever since I was young, but um, you know, one of the things that I always, I always had to wonder was, it seems like this song kind of shifts gears, and I wondered why. And so I, I did a little research, and it was kind of an interesting, um, interesting how it all came together. Um, 128 is where it's at in our book, How Great Thou Art. Um, we all know the song, probably all of us have heard it as far back as we can remember, pretty close anyway, maybe not quite. Um, but this song took about 65 years to complete. Um, so the first version of this was in 1885 by a pastor named Carl, I understood it, Carl Bogbert, when I was, I was listening to somebody narrate this. And he was, he was walking home from a service on a Sunday afternoon and, and uh, there was a storm coming and he saw it in, in, in the distance and so he hurries home and, and he got home before the storm and, and he, he watched the storm play out <clears throat> and after a while the sun comes out and he's, he's looking out the window looking over the lake and he hears the bells playing in the distance that meant there had been a funeral that day. And so he was, he was contemplating what, what this all meant. And, uh, and in, in that context, he wrote the first two verses. <clears throat> and maybe I'll just read those two verses and, and uh, then we'll talk about the other two verses. He says, O Lord my God, when I an awesome wonder, consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. And then it goes on with the chorus there. I'm not sure if he wrote the chorus or not, I don't know that. When through the woods and forest glades I wander and hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees, when I look down from lofty mountain grander and hear the brook and feel the gentle breeze. And so the first version of this, these two verses, come into play with the thought of just adoration to God for everything that he had done and made. And I, I, I take this man to have maybe looked out the window and watched the storm. And, uh, you know, a storm reminds us how great God is, especially when you see... Uh, a pretty violent storm like we do sometimes. Um, and it just reminds us of God's greatness. That's kind of what I envisioned this to have, have, to have happened here. But he first wrote this as a poem. Um, and, and so about a year, I think if I remember the story correctly, about a year later, he was, uh, he was in town and he heard the words of his poem being sung in to a Swedish folk music tune. And so he stopped and listened. Well, that was kind of the, the beginning of it, and, and that's kind of where it stayed for some time. In 1907, a man by the name of Manfred von Glenn translated it into German and uh, the German version uh, translated, the title translated into English is How Great You Are. Uh, 
So it was pretty close to the way we titled it today. Um, but that was a German version. And, and so uh, in 1912, uh, a Russian, I, I didn't get his name, um, heard the song and translated it into Russia, uh, the Russian language. It moved south into, into the Ukraine area. And in, uh, in 1930, a man by the, and his wife by the name of Stuart Hines, which is the one that is credited to be the author, was working, he started at work in Ukraine, and he heard this, he heard these first two verses. And he used, he used this version of the song, the first two verses in his evangelistic work a lot because he felt it just so spoke about God and who God is and how great he is and what he can do. And so he, um, he used that for quite some time. So one afternoon or one day he was, they were walking to another remote village where they hadn't been before. And uh, he asked the local guide, he said, are there believers in this village? And the guide said, uh, well, there, there's one couple that I know of that are believers in this village. That's all I know. And he said, well, let's go to their house. <clears throat> and so they get to this house, and, and they heard people inside talking. And so they listened, and here it was people that were confessing their sins. It was a group of people that were together in this believer's home. And, uh, and they were confessing their sins and sharing together, repenting of their sins. And so Stuart and his wife just waited outside, and uh, they didn't disturb what was going on. So as he was contemplating what was happening in there, the third verse was born. And he was, he was just inspired by, by what was happening, what he saw in there. And so he... He wrote the third verse and he said, And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in, that on the cross my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. So the, the song shifts its thought pattern from God's creation and, and the display of what we see in his power now into the heart of a man and a woman and how it changed them and, uh, and it set them on a different course in life. And so they used that uh, for several years there in Ukraine, the, the Second World War. They ended up leaving and finally ended up back in England where they had came from. So after the war, he was working in a camp uh, where a lot of displaced war victims had, had come to. And he was talking to a Russian man there, and, uh, and this man said, told him his story, and he said, some time ago, or about the end, close to the end of the war, he said, I was separated from my wife, and he said, I, I said she was a believer, I was not. And he said, I've since come to be a believer, and he said, I would so love to see her and share the last years of our life together as believers. But he said, I don't know if it can ever happen. And so Stuart, in that context, wrote the last verse. Uh, because this man said, if I never see my wife again, 
I have hope that I will see her in heaven. And so he was, he was had that hope within him. That was his, that was his basis for the last verse. When Christ shall come with a shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart? Then I shall know, bow in humble adoration and there proclaim, my God, how great thou art. That was in 1948. So this song then finally circulated through some of the British colonies kind of, and, and was sung um, in various places and finally found its way into the United States and, uh, and uh, George Beverly Shea, he worked with Billy Graham, got a hold of the song and started singing it at Billy Graham's Crusades and that's how it became a popular song in, in American religious circles. Elvis Presley made a recording of it as well and that also helped to get that song out in the 1960s. Um, not a promoter of Elvis Presley, but, but he did sing that song. <clears throat> Today, that so the song has been translated into almost every language in the whole world. Uh, there probably are a few that haven't, haven't had this song written in their language, but it, it has went a long ways. Uh, and so, you know, we, we could just see God working, you know, in 1885 to 1948, is the span of time it took for this song to find its final form that we have today and uh, that, we're, that we're blessed with. Um, so that's just the story of the song and, the, and uh, I've, ever since I've known it, I've loved this song um, and uh, it, just has a, it just has a deep meaning and it takes us from the power and wonder of creation to the power of changing our hearts and the hope of eternity. And so. Let's, uh, let's sing the song and then I'll just open it up uh, and just raise your hand and try to get a mic to you.
things here I'd just like to mention one just to um, remind us how God is interested and responsive to the little details in our lives and our requests. Um, some of you knew that Wednesday evening I just asked the Lord to modify the weather from what the weather forecast was so we didn't have rain on Thursday so we could work all day and it didn't rain till quarter after eight in the evening and God cares and he listens and just just that encouragement and then um, a song that comes to my mind and with it a, a scripture uh, the song uh, be thou my vision uh, actually I have this is my uh, my wake-up alarm every morning it starts out, be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou, my best thought, by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence, my light. And it made me think of um, scripture in Matthew 6. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, a single focus, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil... And that has the idea of um, like an alloy or a, cont a contaminated uh, with two, two elements. If thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. But if our eye is single, if we have a single focus unto the Lord, if the Lord is our vision and he's our best thought, whether we're awake or asleep, and um, just a, a challenge to me and a challenge to me every morning as I wake up to my alarm that, you know, let God let the Lord be my vision. Let him be my single focus, the love and affection of my heart. Just to uh, encourage us with that. I'm enjoying this morning. Um, I want to group on WhatsApp that someone mentioned a phrase out of the song. Um, I think it's 670. Come thou fount of every blessing. I can turn back to that. Um, no, 669. So I looked up the hymn history for that song, and it's just so neat how no matter what age we are, we can be drawn away from Christ and how 
he draws us back even with something that maybe he had shown us earlier in our in our life um Born in 1735, 17-year-old Robert Robinson ran the streets of London in gangs, caring not for anything spiritual. He was just a small boy when his dad died. In 18th century England, there was little in the way of a social welfare system, and this meant that he had to go to work while still very young. Without a father to guide and steady him, Robert fell in with bad com companions. One day, his gang of rowdies harassed a drunken gypsy. Pouring liquor into her, they demanded she tell their fortunes for free. Pointing her finger at Robert, she told him he would live to see his children and grandchildren. This struck a tender spot in his heart. If I'm going to live to see my children and grandchildren, he thought, I'll have to change my way of living. I can't keep on like I'm going now. A few nights later, Robert Robertson, half serious and half in fun, decided to go to a tent meeting to hear the Methodist preacher, George Whitfield. To cover his weak urge, he suggested that the boys go with him and heckle the gathering. Let's go laugh at the deluded Methodist was his invitation to his gang. Whitfield preached on the text, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Matthew 3, 7. Robert left in dread under a deep sense that George Whitfield was preaching to him alone. Finally, at the age of 20, Robert made peace with God and immediately set out to become a preacher himself. He wrote a letter to George Whitfield and told him that he envied the happiness that he saw on the faces of those people in the tent. Two years later, in 1757, he wrote a hymn which expressed his joy in his new faith. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet, sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount, I am fixed upon it, mount of the God's redeeming, unchanging love. Here, years later, Robert did wander away from God. In a spiritually black, backslidden condition, Robert was traveling in a stagecoach one day. His only companion was a young woman unknown to him. In the province, providence of God, and not realizing who it was she was spoke with, the woman quoted, Come thou fount of every blessing, saying what an encouragement it had been to her. Try as he might, Robertson could not get her, her to change the subject. She asked him what he thought of the hymn she was humming. He responded, Madam, I am the poor unhappy man who wrote that hymn many years ago, and I would give a thousand worlds, if I had them, to enjoy the feelings I had then. Gently she replied, Sir, the streams of mercy are still flowing. He was deeply touched by that. As a result of the encounter, he repented. His fellowship with the Lord was restored through the ministry of his own hymn and a Christian's willing witness.
I read recently in 1 Corinthians 3, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, or the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. And this scripture sobers me, but it also encourages me, and kind of tying in with what Charlotte said, how we can be brought back after we've um, drifted away. I, I find myself going through this cycle so much, just getting caught up with material things and not paying as, putting as much attention on my connection with God as I once did. But he is so faithful, he always brings us back. He knows us, we are his own. And when, when we've made him the center of our lives, we can trust that he will keep us to the end. And I'd like to sing song number 358.
was just uh, flipping through the book and came across the song With Wings as Eagles, number 751. And I don't know the history of this song. I'm wishing now that I would look it up sometime. But I've been thinking and praying about um, looking at life more from God's perspective. A big weakness of mine is to just get bogged down in in horizontal perspective, in how things look to me, and to stress out because of that. To stress out over very small things sometimes. Um, but I was just thinking, as I came across this song again, how eagles tend to look down from above, and they can soar on the updrafts, and I want to live more that way looking at life from God's perspective and and from the size that he sees things too. He doesn't get stressed out by the things that stress us out. So yeah, I'd like to sing this song if we could.
this is a prophecy from Jeremiah that has been fulfilled. Jeremiah 31, 33. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. <clears throat> for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. And I'm just really grateful that this has been fulfilled. And we live in this day now that the law of the Lord can be written on our hearts and our minds. How about song um, 644? Oh.
Well, thank you to all that shared. I think the last song was just a, a, a good way to, to end it. Just uh, the prayer that, Lord, abide with me. Just, we just need that so much that he's, he's just with us. He's our presence, and, uh, and he goes with us. And so um, I'm just so thankful for that. Um, and uh, just think it was a, just a, a good way to, to end it, a uh, good thought. Mm-hmm. <clears throat>